Welcome to the Dayton Women in the Word podcast. We have a heart for you, sister, and a God-sized vision that you become a mighty, awe-filled woman of God who knows, believes, and shares God's Word in your areas of influence. And so we fervently pray Colossians 3, 16 through 17 over you. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. listening to the Dayton Women in the Word Summer Study Series through the Book of Hosea. Over the next eight weeks, our podcast episodes will consist of recordings of our content time each week during the study. Our prayer is that, as Hosea 6 says, that our listeners and those who are following along either live or from afar, that you will be inspired and encouraged to return to the Lord. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Welcome to the fourth annual Dayton Women in the Word Summer Study. We are very excited to have you guys tonight. We're especially excited for all the new faces, those of you joining us for the first time. Can I get a show of hands? Who is new? Who's joining us for the first time? Whoa! Look at those hands! Welcome! So excited that you're here. If you are new to Dayton Women in the Word, I did want to take just a second to introduce you to what we are about Our mission at Dayton Women in the Word is to purposefully present women, that's you, with the Word of God, giving you the encouragement to behold it, the tools to understand it, and the training to share it. So that is what we're all about. And here at Summer Study, we hope to be doing all of those things. So purposely presenting you with the Word of God in Hosea, encouraging you to behold the gift that God's Word is to us giving you study tools to help you understand it and equipping you to share it with others. So this is us rolling up our sleeves, getting our hands dirty, and digging into the word with you. So this is us putting hands and feet to our mission. Our great hope for all of you, for each one of us, is that we all become mighty, awe-filled women of God who know, believe, and share God's word. So that's what we're here for. Let's get to it. A note, um, Last year, those of you who were here for the inaugural Monday night session, hands for those of you who were Monday nighters last year. Thir- nighttime, night, night people. <laughs> ladies, night ladies. I'm going to stop before I <laughs> say something not correct. Um, <laughs> You guys had the pleasure last year of sitting under our dear friend Jillian's teaching. This year, she is teaching the Wednesday morning session at Apex. But I want to encourage you guys to use her lectures as a resource. They're going to all be up on our website on the resource page. 
Um, her and I will be covering the same main topics. Obviously, we're going through the same uh, passages of Scripture at the same time, but we're going to lean our focuses in different places. So her lecture is going to be a great resource for you guys, too. And if you miss her from last year, you'll be able to listen to her teaching again. Uh, before we move into the good stuff, I just want to introduce myself a little bit. My name is Natalie Herr. I am a wife to my husband, Nick. I am a mom of four kids, eight and under, and I am the team lead of Dane Women in the Word. If you have studied with us before, you might remember me teaching Joshua and Daniel. Any Joshua or Daniel ladies in here? Hey, yes, in the back. Um, Last summer, I spent uh, teaching your kids, some of your kids maybe, in the Wednesday morning session, kicking off our kids program last year, which is up and running again this year. And I'm excited to be back together with you ladies of the evening. Um, <laughs> I'm just, cut this, we need an editor, I think, on that. Um, my, uh, the best way to get to know me, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on myself tonight. My personal email, Instagram, are up there. Instagram's probably the best way to, to get to know me quickly, see a lot of pictures of my children. Um, but that's a place I'll probably share a lot of uh, things that I'm studying, working through during the week as I'm preparing, so you can find me there. And the Dayton Women in the Word contact info is up there for you, too. Um, I love hearing from you guys. I love getting feedback. All of us do on the team. So if you have any questions, I want to encourage you first. Your first question person is your discussion group leader. So check with them first. But feel free to contact me personally if you have any questions specifically about the teaching. I would love to talk with you about it. Quick overview of what we're going to hit tonight in session one. Um, we're going to talk about what to expect from us, from me, your discussion group leaders, um, um, and the Dayton Women of the Word team, what we expect from you, a quick overview of the whole study. We're going to talk about Hosea in the big story of the Bible. We're going to go through those five context questions that you talked about in your groups. We'll talk about themes, a little bit about idol worship toward the end, and then I'll give you your homework for next week. So there's a lot of content tonight, so hang with me. Uh, it's going to be a lot, but all these slides will be available online. You'll have the recording online as well. We're giving you all the resources, so if you need to go back, you can. Don't worry too much about frantically taking notes. Before we go, I'm going to pray for us now. God, uh, I just i am so grateful to be in this room full of women who uh, you have brought here um, through your pursuing love. God, you have gathered just uh, the specific women who you want to learn uh, from your word in Hosea here. And it's just a pleasure to be among them, among women who love you. It gives me joy to be in their presence and in yours. So God, we just ask you um, that you would build a foundation for us tonight as we go into the reading of Hosea over the next eight weeks, um, would you just give us a place tonight to stand firmly on when we are working through the text and meeting those difficult um, passages, Lord? Would you help us tonight um, and give us what we're going to need going forward? In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay. So, 
This is going to be especially helpful for you if this is your first time with us. Um, what to expect from us. This goes for me. This goes for Jill. This goes for your discussion group leaders and our Dayton Women in the Word team. So the first thing is that we are going to come alongside you. Um, Jill likes to say we are better together, and I agree. We know that studying God's Word can be difficult at times, uh, overwhelming, confusing, and I just want to tell you right now you're not alone in that, and we are here wanting to help you. That's what this is all about. You don't have to know anything coming in here, and we're here to do this together. The second thing is that we will challenge you. We only have eight weeks together, guys, and that's not very long, so we want to make the most of them. Not only do we want to teach you about God's Word, but we want to teach you the tools to explore it and study it on your own when you leave us. Homework, if you've looked at the syllabus, it seems a little overwhelming at first, but if you need help, like I said, reach out to your discussion group leader and chat with them if you're feeling overwhelmed. The third thing is that we will be learning with you. We are not expertly trained theologians. We are women who love God's word, and we just long to see it transform your lives and our own lives. We're walking through Hosea together in real time with you. And so we are probably raising the same kinds of questions that you are raising. Fourth, we are going to come prepared. As teachers and leaders, we're going to devote as much time as possible to studying, learning, and meeting with the Lord. Lastly, we will direct you to the Lord. In both our teaching and our counsel, we want to point you to Jesus as the ultimate teacher and healer and lover and helper. Our goal is always to connect the teaching to the gospel. And the gospel, when we say that, we mean the good news of Jesus that the Bible tells us. Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth to live to die and to rise up so that we can have life with God forever, which is the best news. And so we could listen to that for eight weeks and forever. So that's where we're going to be pointing you. Now what we expect from you. We expect you all to come willing to learn. I want you to come with an open heart, an open mind, ready to tune in to what God wants to teach us here in Hosea. Even if you've read Hosea before, even if you've read the Bible a hundred times, there is always more to learn. The second thing is to come ready to share. Your groups, I hope that you felt this already, but your groups are meant to be a safe place to share, a place where you can feel comfortable sharing what God's teaching you each week, what your questions are, comfortable getting vulnerable with these um, women. And um, we have honestly seen just such sweet friendships grow out of the groups that really commit to being open and um, to sharing vulnerably with each other. Um, that doesn't mean you have to throw your whole life out there to these women that you just met tonight. But um, I think some of you in this room would agree that you've made relationships in groups here before that have lasted and have encouraged you. So come willing to share um, and not just listen, but listen to Third thing is come having done the homework, and this is the hard one for the summertime, I know, um, but in order to make the most of our time together, we ask that you try your best to follow the syllabus and do the homework that we suggest each week. So coming prepared makes for better discussions, and it helps you to connect with the lecture. 
fourth thing, come with your questions. Like I said, questions are welcome. It is okay if you don't understand everything you read. You're not going to understand everything you read. Or if you don't understand a certain discussion question or a study tool, we love your questions. Again, check first with your discussion group leader. They'll be able to answer most of those things for you. And if they can't, come see me. Come see one of the other Dane Women Word team members. If I could have you guys, Dane Women Word team members, stand up so that we can get your faces. Kelly, Christina, Caitlin, Becca, Bethany, Bethany. <laughs> okay. These are, these are helpful faces too, so check in with them if you need help, if you have questions also. And then lastly, super important, come with your imperfections. No one is perfect. We are not expecting perfection from you. None of us will understand Hosea perfectly. We're not always going to study as much as we want to. We're going to fail at times this summer. But what I want to say, what I want to ask you is not to disqualify yourself from coming and being a part of the study just because you don't meet your own expectations. Keep coming. Keep showing up. Don't let your failures and your weaknesses keep you from fellowship with the women of God. You are wanted here with us, okay? So remember that in the middle of the summer when it's not going as well as you think it will. We want you here. Keep coming, okay? But you are excused for vacation. It's fine. It's okay. You can enjoy. A quick overview of the study. You have all of this in your syllabus. Uh, I'm not going to go through it point by point, but I want you to see in bold there, week two and week three, uh, it is not a typo. We are going to be going over chapters one through three twice in a row because they are super important and really full. So that's twice in a row using different tools. You're going to really get to know Hosea one through three. Also, in session four and five, those are correct as well. There is some funny breakdown. There are some funny breakdowns in Hosea. So those are correct as well. Do not be worried. The syllabus is correct. Becca makes sure of that for us. Okay. We're going to start to talk about Hosea now. All right. First, we got to talk about Hosea in the big story of the Bible. The word that we use for this is meta-narrative, and that just means the big story that runs through the whole Bible. Meta means big, narrative means story. So this story is what is underlying and interconnected with every book, every chapter, and every verse in the Bible. The biblical authors were all trying to tell this same story. As Sandra Richter puts it, the epic tale of God's ongoing quest to ransom his creation. I love that. The epic tale of God's ongoing quest to ransom his creation. Now, the meta-narrative, the big story, has four main movements. We call those creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Restoration is sometimes also called consummation or new creation, just to confuse you a little more. I'm going to take you through it pretty quickly because we've got a lot to get through. But if you want to learn more and dig deeper into the big story of the Bible, there's going to be a link on the resources page with uh, several, I think it's like 10 or 12 books about meta narrative that you can dig into if you want to. So now would be a good time to pull out that timeline that you got. Hopefully your discussion group leader gave that to you. And you can make some notes on here if you'd like as we go through. 
So as you see there at the top, God's story opens with creation. God makes everything and he calls it all good. We find two people in this newly created world and they're in perfect harmony and perfect communion with God. God and man are together. It is the perfect scenario. But as we know, things did not stay perfect for long and quickly go terribly wrong. Our first man and woman, Adam and Eve, choose to disobey God. And we call this the fall, which as you see comes right after creation. We call it the fall because Adam and Eve chose to fall out of perfect fellowship that they had with God. But we see even in the first few pages of Genesis that what God was after is fellowship with them. He's after relationship with us. He doesn't just disappear. God pursues them. He asks Adam and Eve, where are you? And as we'll see this summer, that is what he asks of God's people in Hosea. And that is what he often asks of us. Where are you? As opposed to what have you done? What follows the fall then is the biblical story of God's relentless pursuit to get his people back and restore them to that unbroken relationship that he had at creation. So as we work through the timeline down here, the promises of the patriarchs, the exodus, the law, the conquest of the promised land, the time of the judges, kings, prophets, all of it can be understood through this lens. God's goal is to get us back, to restore us. But before we can get to restoration, we have to have redemption. We must be bought back by God for a price. So God sends his son Jesus to earth as a man, the second Adam. And Jesus is God's rescue plan. Jesus was born. He lived the perfect life that no one else had ever been capable of living. And he died a cruel death as a punishment for our sins. And that death was the cost that God paid to bring us back into relationship with him to redeem us. And then Jesus' resurrection showed us that the sacrifice was accepted by God the Father. So now anyone who believes in the name of Jesus is brought back into relationship with God. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Good news. Amen? Yeah. And those of us in Christ, and that phrase in Christ means those of us who have turned to Jesus in repentance and chosen to follow him. Those of us in Christ now look forward to that final movement, restoration, when Jesus will return. God's going to judge the world, and those who are redeemed by him will join him in the new creation, the Eden 2.0, where God himself will dwell with his people and enjoy unhindered relationship with him for all eternity. Hosea is going to squarely fall into the fall category as it comes in the Old Testament after creation and before Jesus came. But it has themes, it's full of themes of redemption and restoration as well. So in your timeline handout here, take a look. We hit creation, fall. Um, you'll see the patriarchs, exodus, judges, kings, and then the divided kingdom, which we're going to hit, talk about here in a minute. It's super important for us to understand for Hosea. And then you'll see the New Testament period, Jesus born, dies, resurrected, and then we end up with new creation with that arrow that isn't um, finished yet. There's no point 
there for new creation because we haven't made it there yet. So we've talked about, oops, nope. We've talked about where Hosea is in the meta narrative, in the big story. But I also want to talk about where it falls in the canon or the order of Scripture. So if you have a copy of your Scriptures with you, you can flip to Hosea now. Hosea, um, I mean, you can see it there. It's not, it's not really, it's sort of in the second, third, mm, I'm not good at math. Um, <laughs> The Bible is not laid out chronologically, guys. Um, You're going to find Hosea in the Old Testament. It's after the historical books and after the first four prophets, which are called the major prophets. There are 16 total prophetic books in the Bible. And Hosea is the first of the 12 minor prophets. Now, minor prophets doesn't mean they're less important. It just means that the book is shorter. And a prophet is a man called by God to proclaim a specific message to his people at a specific time. It's important to know that these are not the regular teachers of God's word. Those were the priests, but they were proclaimers. They were announcers of something important for God's people to know that was outside of their usual teaching. Prophecy was also not exclusive to the Israelites. It was also common in the Canaanite religions. But we know that we can trust the biblical prophets because their prophecies line up with the blessings and curses that God originally laid out in his covenant. So they're not coming up with new or inconsistent information. Hosea himself prepares the way for the other prophets. That's why Hosea is the first of the 12. It's the fullest theologically of the 12. It covers all the major prophetic themes, which are covenant, judgment, and hope. All of the prophets hit those three. At the same time, Hosea is also the most problematic Old Testament text to translate and interpret. So we got you guys here first before we told you that little tidbit. That wasn't on the intro video. Sorry. Um, There was a lost dialect, a lost language um, that Hosea was written in. And so it's been very difficult to translate over the years because translators don't understand exactly. They don't have any other references of that language to go off of. But the good thing is that the central themes are not affected. But if you're comparing translations, you're going to notice differences um, that change the meaning. And uh, we're going to do our best to mine out the meaning um, as teachers. But we just um, we pray that the Lord would, would help us in that area um, And I do, um, we will have a little video to share with you guys about um, translating scripture so you can help understand a little bit better what they're actually doing when they're translating it, and that'll help us to understand why Hosea's translations are, are so different from each other. But important thing, this does not mean that we cannot trust the Bible. We trust that God's uh, original message to Hosea was inspired by his spirit. We also trust that the spirit of God has been at work overseeing all of the translations of his word over many thousands of years. We can trust him. So Hosea is full of themes of redemption, restoration. It's the first of the 12 minor prophets. We've given you kind of a zoom out um, picture of where Hosea falls. Um, 
But I do want to give you a little short history lesson on the divided kingdom, if you will indulge me. History is not my strong point, so this is for you history buffs out there. I love you very much. This is for you. So as you can see on your timelines and on this map here, at this time in history, Israel is divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern one is the green one, says Israel. The lower southern kingdom is called Judah. It's the grayish one down there. So the division happened in 930 BC. This was after Solomon's son, Rehoboam, refused to relieve uh, the heavy tax burden that was on the people. So these 10 northern tribes revolted and set up Jeroboam I as their king. So like I said, the northern kingdom is called Israel. And confusingly, in Hosea, it's also called Ephraim and Samaria. If you have the Hosea glossary, all of that is explained in there. That's on the resource page as well. And then the southern kingdom is called Judah. If you want to read more about how the kingdom divided, when the kingdom divided, you can read about it in 1 Kings 12. If you want to write that down, 1 Kings 12. So at this time, I'm going to leave us there. Hosea was not the only prophet in town. I mean, he was the only prophet in his town. But he was not the only prophet um, proclaiming to Israel or Judah at the time. There are several contemporary books in the Bible, which means contemporary books, which just means that there was another prophet working at the same time in a different place. They were active and addressing similar issues. I thought I had a slide about that in here. Now I'm, oh, there it is. Just back a little bit. Contemporary books there at the bottom. So Isaiah, Amos, and Jonah, and Micah. Isaiah was active in the southern kingdom. He was warning Judah that their sins were going to bring God's judgment through Assyrian rule. We're going to learn a lot about Assyria this summer. Um, but he also proclaimed God was going to bring them back from exile. A theme with most of our prophets is that they're giving um, judgment, but also hope, like I said earlier. Covenant, judgment, and hope. Amos was in the northern kingdom. He spoke against um, idolatry, extravagance, and corruption in Israel, just like Hosea did. But he reminded the people that God would remember the covenant and keep a remnant. Jonah was in the northern kingdom as well, but he was a little different. He was called to preach to the Ninevites, uh, not to the Israelites. And, the, and Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, so they were the enemies of Israel. So that's happening at the same time, too. And then Micah preached to both the northern and southern kingdoms. And he was speaking out against the wealthy who were oppressing the poor. And all of these books kind of alternate between messages of warning and messages of hope. And Micah, as we know from Christmas time, that Micah proclaims a deliverer will come, especially a deliverer from Bethlehem. So these are the guys that are um, also sent by God the same time period to, um, to preach God's word. So if you are interested in finding out more cultural and historical background, kind of context, those are places to go. We're going to find a lot of cross-references to those books as we go through Hosea because there are a lot of common themes. Last thing before we go through the context questions, and this is important for you guys who are just joining us, maybe for the first time. Some of you might be reading the Old Testament for the very first time, or maybe you've never read the Prophets. 
or maybe that portion of your Bible is just not opened up too much, and that's okay. The Old Testament has a reputation of being really difficult to read and not applicable to our lives and shows a God of judgment and not a God of love. And it's okay if we have heard those things and believed those things before, but we all come to the word with a little bit of baggage, and so we're not, um, I'm not expecting that we're all on the same page on that tonight, but I am confident that God's word is going to show us that while, yes, the Old Testament is difficult to read, as we will come up against in Hosea, it's also worth reading. It's certainly worth our time. It is applicable to our lives, and Hosea, probably more than any other book in the Bible, shows God as a lover and not just to judge. That's in the Old Testament, guys. So it's all about Jesus. The Old Testament is all about Jesus. Hosea is all about Jesus. And so my prayer is that your time with us this summer is going to convince you of that. So we've rushed through the big picture a little bit. I'm trying to keep us at a steady clip. We're going to go through the five context questions that you guys talked about in your group. So firstly, who wrote Hosea? Thank you, Hosea, the son of Beery. Uh, These could be his own writings or the record of his prophecies written down and compiled by his followers. We don't know for sure. We don't have a record of Hosea's life outside of this book. We're going to get a lot of details about some things in his life, but we have to remember not to infer too much into his life and relationships. It's okay to make guesses about what he might have thought or what he might have felt, but we must be careful not to make assumptions about things that the text isn't clear on. Hosea likely served as a prophet for about 25 to 30 years, possibly up to 40, and Hosea's name means salvation or deliverer, and it comes from the same root as Joshua's name and Jesus' name. Jesus is the true and better Hosea, and we're going to see throughout the book that Hosea's storyline lines up with the way of Jesus. So Hosea wrote Hosea. We got it. When was Hosea written? Approximate date, 750 to 715 B.C. This is two centuries after the divided kingdom business that we talked about a few minutes ago. So Hosea's ministry was sometime between the end of Jeroboam's rule in 753 B.C. and in the beginning of Hezekiah's rule in 687 B.C. So there's some wiggle room in there. We can't be sure exactly when it was written. Hosea's ministry began during the reigns of Uzziah in the southern kingdom and Jeroboam II in the northern kingdom. This was what... Uh, Scholars call the second golden age of God's people. The first golden age was David and Solomon's reign. And then the second golden age um, is this time. It's a prosperous time in the, the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, but it was also a turbulent time in their history. There was an increase in prosperity, and that increase led to an increase in unfaithfulness and idol worship. There was corruption in the government. There was no sense of responsibility for the poor, and the rich were indulging. There were active military campaigns that were happening against the the enemies in Judah, and um, things are starting to unravel after Jeroboam II dies in the northern kingdom. If you want a reference to your timeline, you can see a little bit of that happening there. 
So there were six kings in 30 years during this time. Three of the kings ruled for less than two years, and four were assassinated. There was one military coup after another, many Assyrian attacks on Israel and their neighbors during Hosea's lifetime. I like how commentator Tim Chester describes it. He says, the dagger ruled in Israel. Factions vied for control. Some favored an alliance with Egypt. Others favored Assyria. None favored the Lord. So that's where we're at right now in Hosea. There are political conflicts looming, calamity on the horizon. The Assyrians are going to start growing in power. And they put an end to Israel in 722 BC when with the fall of Samaria. There was always a threat of conquest and exile. They were living just in a bit of fear all the time about the enemies around them. And with all of these, um, all of these things we know, these actual historical events that we're talking about now, um, we're not going to be able to connect each of them to the references in Hosea of these turbulent times. But the most important thing is to remember the overall turbulent climate. And if you want to learn more, I'm going to send you back to Kings again, 2 Kings 17. I'll give you all the details on what was going on politically during this time. So turbulent climate. You can forget those year numbers and remember that. Fourth question, or third question, to whom was it written? There are two audiences here. The first hearers were the Israelites in the northern kingdom. Remember, Hosea was situated in the northern kingdom. That's where he lived. That's where he did his work. And then the second hearers, or the first readers, depending on how it was um, delivered, were the Israelites in the southern kingdom of Judah. So that's why we're going to see references to Judah in the writing as well because it eventually would reach them. It was important for them as well. Fourth question, style. What style was Hosea written in? Hosea is written in prophecy. Prophecy is communication from God through a chosen person called a prophet. We talked about that a little bit earlier. The literary form is called satirical poetry with a legal indictment undertone, and that is... Um, that's a lot of words, but I'm going to break it down for you. Basically, Hosea uses sharp and bitter language to expose Israel's failures. Um, that legal undertone is seen when God brings several cases against Israel and argues that they should be punished. So you'll see a little bit of satire. Um, it's it's darker and more and more bitter, and it's it's going to be um, at times difficult for us to catch on to. But we'll do our best to point those things out to you. And then you'll see that legal case theme coming up as well. Hosea is chock full, if you've read it already, of figurative language. And it assumes a lot of knowledge of the readers or the hearers. Hosea uses metaphor, simile, wordplay almost more than any other prophet. He uses images from family and nature that would have been really relatable to the common Israelite at the time, but unfortunately aren't super relatable to us. So um, we're going to have to do a little digging this summer. Hosea compares Israel to a promiscuous wife, an indifferent mother, an illegitimate child, a silly dove, grapes in the wilderness. There are lots of these figurative language, these word pictures within Hosea. It's going to be important for us to pay attention to those and to learn what they 
meant to the Israelites at the time so that we can understand what the author was intending to say and communicate. So Hosea is prophecy with lots of figurative language and lots of cultural references. And we're going to learn a lot about um, the common Israelite in the divided kingdom this summer. All right, last question. Why was it written? I'm just going to run through these quickly. We're going to expand on them more throughout the summer. They're just as you see here. Hosea, as he's writing, this is what he wants to see, is Israel to turn back to God from Baal specifically. I'm going to talk about Baal in a little bit. He wants to show them their spiritual adultery. He wants to warn them of judgment that's coming. He wants to show them God's redeeming love and then give them a future hope. So we're going to talk a lot more about those things as we go. And now we're going to talk about Baal. Baal was a weather god and a fertility god that was worshipped by the Canaanites. And this is super important for us to understand, guys, because this is the undercurrent of Hosea. This is what's happening. This is the cultural context. So Baal was said to control agriculture rainfall and productivity and Israel depended on the rainfall completely for their agricultural success because of where they were situated geographically they absolutely needed the rain they could not do without the name Baal means lord or master and the Canaanite people believed he was control over not over in control over not just nature but people as well he was worshiped at various shrines you'll see the names like Baal Peor or Baal Gad in Hosea. There are other um, names in the Bible uh, as well that refer to specific places of worship. And um, the activities that were connected with this Baal worship were drunkenness, bestiality, human sacrifice, and especially sacrifice of children, mutilations, incest, ritual prostitution. And that last one is super relevant for Hosea. What I mean by ritual prostitution is this, that worshipers would go to um, a shrine for Baal. They would offer their sex act with a prostitute at that shrine. And their act of fertility was meant to convince Baal, this fertility god, to produce the rain that they wanted for fertile ground. So this is why children were offered as a sacrifice to Baal, because they are the literal symbol of human fertility. So if you're like me, you might be wondering, how did Israel get here to this place? Why are they messing around with Baal worship? And I'm going to read to you from Psalm 106, which basically gives us a total rundown on exactly why they are where they are. Now, in this passage, when, um, when it says they... It's talking about the Israelites. When it says the peoples or the nations, it's talking about the Canaanites. I'm going to start in verse 34 of Psalm 106, if you want to jump there with me. It says, They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood 
Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hand of the nations, so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. So this is what happened. This is how Israel got here. When God asked them to go into the promised land, he asked them to remove the people of the land. And that was God's judgment on the Canaanites for um, their many hundreds of years of um, idol worship against him. And so the Israelites didn't didn't drive them out. They remained in the land, and they started to mix their cultures. And so they started to take on some of the practices, some of the beliefs of the Canaanites, and this was one of them. So as we see in this passage, Baal worship is spiritual adultery. It's the people of God, cheating on their God with another God, Baal. And God demands of the Israelites and of us, of all of his people, that we worship him alone. We can go back to Exodus 20, to the first commandment that tells us that we should have no other gods before him. That's clear. And Psalm 97.7 says, All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. All idols, all gods apart from the one true God are worthless. So Israel hadn't completely abandoned the one true God, Yahweh. That's his name. Um, But they had divided loyalties between Yahweh and Baal. So God is Israel's lawful husband, and I say lawful because of the covenant. And the covenant is the promises that God and his people made to each other. So God, Israel's husband, couldn't tolerate their affairs with other gods, with other lovers. And all of this grieves God, but it doesn't surprise him. If we go back to Deuteronomy in chapter 31, God tells Moses before he dies that the people are going to break the covenant and they're going to turn to idols. But God continues to pursue his people, and he keeps up his end of the covenant even when his people don't. And that end is the promise he made to never leave them, or forsake them. So he's with them forever, whether they leave him or not. Now, I know we have at least one baby in the room. Back there. Baby. Um, I want you to, if you're close to the baby, take a look at the baby. She's super cute. Um, or I want you to think about your own child, one of your own babies, or a baby in your life. Close your eyes, get a baby, get a picture of a cute little baby in your head. I want you to think about holding that baby, that living, breathing life. To take a minute to place place ourselves inside of this narrative. So I want you to think about that baby. I want you to think about how the Israelites bought into the cultural lie that was all around them. That pursuing favor with a God made of metal 
was more essential than the life of the child that you're holding in your mind. The success of their crop was so vital to their survival that they would do almost anything to please Baal and secure his favor. Anything, including sacrifice their own children. Our God, the true God, does not operate this way. Our God is concerned with our hearts and not with our outward sacrifices. Our God himself provided the necessary sacrifice to meet his standards of holiness with his own son. That's the God, our God, the God of the Bible, the God that we worship. And this is the backdrop that we have to be aware of to best understand Hosea. So this was serious stuff that was happening. This is life or death stuff that they are engaging in. We talk about idol worship in our times, and usually we're just talking about something in our lives that we love or pay attention to or crave more than God, and that's, that is an idol. That is true. But when we talk about idols in Hosea, when that's referenced in Hosea, I want you to think of Baal. I want you to think about that baby being sacrificed to a piece of metal, and that's where they're at. That's the backdrop for Hosea, okay? And it should, it should grieve us to think about. It grieves me. So that is um, our foundation. That's where we begin. Quickly, when I work through the themes, some of the major themes we're going to see this summer. The biggest one is God's faithfulness to an unfaithful people, and we've already talked about that quite a bit tonight. The people are unfaithful not just in the religious sphere, but the political sphere as well. But God remains faithful despite their failure to love him alone and serve him alone. We also see God's inexhaustible redeeming love and mercy. Only God can keep loving people who are so unfaithful with such consistency. He consistently forgives us. He buys us back. He adopts us. We are his. We're going to see a lot of idol worship and its consequences. Israel is going to experience judgment because of that broken covenant. And Hosea's proclamation is that God's going to give them the curses that he laid out in Deuteronomy 28 as their consequence. We're going to reference Deuteronomy a lot. And you can head back there, Deuteronomy 28, if you want to see what the consequences were for breaking the covenant with God. And this is just the aftermath of that. This isn't new stuff, like I said before. They're all, all the prophets are referring back to what God had already said. A fourth theme is hope, hope for healing and for restoration through repentance. So there's a huge theme of turning and returning in Hosea. The people of God have always been his. They are the people of God, and he wants them back. He wants them to come back to their first love. We're also going to see that difficult seasons like wilderness and exile often come before that restoration and the ultimate healing. I'm thinking of Hosea 6.1, which says that he's broken us so that he might heal us. We're going to see the breaking usually comes before the healing. And then lastly, the personal nature of God. God's going to speak in the first person almost 100 times in Hosea. Hosea's focus is on this personal relationship with God and his people, and he primarily communicates that through the marriage relationship and through the, through the parent-child relationship. 
And these are super intimate metaphors, the closest relationships that we can have in our earthly lives. We're also going to see some of God's emotion toward us, which shows us his personal nature and how God cares about us personally and longs for a relationship with us while he maintains his divine character. He doesn't become like we are in the way that we express our emotions. His emotions are perfect, but he is personal. He is a person, but he's also sovereign and in control. There are certainly lots more themes that we're going to hit, and they're going to come up when we read, but these are some of the big ones. Now, as we close, before we get to homework, look at that. Five minutes left. We did it, guys. Thanks for hanging with me. Um, before we talk about homework, I want to take a minute for a little heart-to-heart -heart as we're starting together. And I just want to encourage a spirit of expectation here in this place. Um, the team has been praying for you guys, each one of you in these seats tonight, uh, since October. God gave us Hosea as our book for the summer all the way back in October. And so we're super expectant about what he's going to do here. He's been providing for each of you for this study for months. Um, and it has all come together because you're all here. Um, he's shown his pursuit of each one of you by bringing you here and by drawing you into reading the book of Hosea. He's gathered in this room right now women who are hurting, who are broken, who are struck down and tired and adulterous and going after other loves. That's us. That's who, that's, that's us in the room. That's me and you. And he brought us here specifically because we need the message of Hosea. We need it. Um, we need him. And so I believe he's going to do a great work of restoration and healing this summer. I really do. Um, so consider this your invitation to come along. In that, um, Jose himself, he calls us to come and return to the Lord, to bring our brokenness to God and to allow him to heal us, to bring our unbelief to God and allow him to fill us up with what's true and to bring our unfaithfulness to him and allow him to show himself faithful to us. So we need this, ladies. All of us in this room need this message of Hosea. So again, I want to say, come, come along with us. Don't quit. Keep coming. He has something good for you here this summer. Okay? Yeah? Okay. All right. Oh, I did have one other tiny thing before homework. Okay. I think you're going to hear a lot about Tim Chester. He's like, I love this guy's commentary. He's my, he's my favorite commentator. Um, he... In, in his intro, he talks about what we can expect from reading Hosea. What can we expect Hosea to do in us? He says uh, we can expect to stir passion in us and a passion and a jealousy for God. That's that singular affection for him that he has for us. Hosea will, will stir up in us um, a commitment to him and his church, a heartbreak over sin like God has, an enthusiasm to serve and a love for the lost because as God comes after us and we can be sent out and go. Um, we can expect it to expose our unfaithfulness and our fickle love. We all have areas of unbelief to be exposed so we can expect that to happen. We can expect um, Hosea to make us uncomfortable as God pursues us, um, as he rebukes us, maybe even wounds us. 
this may hurt a little bit before it feels better. But we can expect Hosea to show God as winsome and alluring and tender and reviving the perfect husband. He is who he says he is, and I believe we're going to get to know him in a deeper and fuller way than we ever have before. And if you don't believe that yet, I'm believing that for you. All right. Homework, for real. We're talking about it. <laughs> All right. The first thing you're going to see this every week is to pray. This is so important. Don't miss this. We need the spirit of understanding to help us. Uh, I have a short prayer written in my binder that I keep that I'm going to pray over all of us in a minute. I'll end with that. And I encourage you to do the same. Um, write a short little prayer, just a sentence or two, um, that if that would be helpful to you, to remind you to pray before, um, during, and after you read. Pray anytime. Pray all the time. Stop. When it's confusing, pray. Um, God is with you. He is in you, and he will help you. The second thing is um, to read or listen to Hosea 1 through 3. That's our chunk for next session several times. Some of you may have read through the whole book of Hosea once or more than that. Um, and that is awesome. And we want you to zoom in to chapters 1 through 3 this week. So if you want to, I know sometimes if, when we say read it several times or do it repetitively, that feels like, oh, that's a lot. Um, but... You can make that work for you in um, whatever way. You can split it up over the days. You can say you're going to read a chapter a day, um, and you'll hit the chapters more than once that way. Or you can use an audio Bible, listen to it. The repetition, we, we stress the repetition because it helps us to pick up the themes and see new details. It helps us just to hear the word of God over and over and get it in there. So... You can take several to mean what you want it to mean. Talk to Jesus about what that looks like for you. The tool that we're going to work on this week, uh, we call it annotation. It means taking notes. So if you've printed out your Hosea printout, which you can find online, that's a great place to take notes. You don't have to, but we offer that for you guys to be able to take notes on. Um, if you are not familiar with annotation or taking notes on the Bible and you're not sure what to take notes about, um, some things to look for, and these are all on our website under study tools. They're all on your study tools handout. I'm just repeating stuff that's already there for you guys, but want to remind you. You can look for repeated words, phrases, ideas, attributes of God, promises of God, um, several points in a row, things that you don't understand or questions that you have, transition words. You can use arrows to connect things. Um, you can look up definitions or make a note that you want to look up a definition of words you don't know. Um, there's lots of things you can take notes on, and uh, everybody's notes look different, so don't be tempted to look at your neighbor's notes and feel guilty that yours don't look the same. Um, this week, hopefully Jill and I will get to do a teacher talk and we'll show you um, how our notes look different. And if you want to, you can share pictures of your notes um, in the Facebook group or on social media. Tag us and show us what your notes look like. It's super encouraging to see what other women are doing um, and to feel like you can get an, a sense of, um, of what is happening with other ladies and encourage you to, to take your own. Um, specifically, if you're looking for just one thing to look at, if you want to break it way down and just look for one thing, I would say look for God's I will statements. I said earlier that 
God is, shows himself personal, and he uses I statements a lot. So look for those I will statements, and, and that's um, one thing that you can take note of if you want to just focus there. And then we have a, a handout for you that goes along with taking notes. This attributes of God handout. Really, it's just a, a page that says attributes of God at the top for you guys to have a space to write down the attributes of God that you find in the Word. It's not real fancy, but it gives you um, a place to take who he is straight from the text because he is who he says he is. So it's awesome to see all of that in one place. So you can begin using that if you want to, but you don't have to. There is freedom, my friends. Um, The session two discussion questions are there for you. You can look over them. You can answer them um, in writing. Whatever would help to prepare you for discussion. That's the main thing that we want to do. Last year, we didn't give you the discussion questions ahead of time, and a lot of you said that you'd like to have them. And so this year, we have them for you, so you can take advantage of that. They're all in one file. File. And um, so you can print them all at once and then just pull them out for each session. And then we have one more handout called the response questions handout that you can do if you want. But personally, I would say save for next week since we are doing two weeks in a row of the same section. And uh, the response questions handout just goes over three questions that we like to ask as we're reading. And you can ask those at any time. You can do them chapter by chapter. You can wait until the end of the whole book to do it. It's up to you. But basically... um, It goes like this. The first question is, what does it say? And that is comprehension. The second is, what does it mean? And that's interpretation. And then the third is, how does it change me? And that's application. So our discussion questions are built around these three things. So when you do the discussion questions, if you work through them, you'll be hitting these things. But if you'd like to ask yourself those questions um, and fill out the response questions handout, you can. And especially if you've studied with us before, you're familiar with that and you know about those three questions, and so that may be more helpful for you. I also want to encourage you guys who are coming back, returning, um, that if you want to, you can go off syllabus. You can use tools that you like at different times. Um, You don't have to save things for later on in the summer. Um, You can use them to the full now if you're familiar with them. But we purposefully just have you focus on one each week, especially if you're new to study and um, you've never done it before. So that's why we do one at a time. Okay, so I will say for the millionth time, everything is on the resource page on the website. That's dayingwomeninthewordcom slash Hosea-resources. And I should have put that on there. It would have been helpful. If you go to Date Women the Word slash Hosea, you'll find it. If you go to the main page, you'll find it. It is there. We've made it as easy as we can. And if you can't find it, tell me, and I will make it easier. I will find a way to make, like, the giant pop-up that says, resources here. I think there is a pop-up. I think we've done a pop-up. It's there. Okay. So look out this week for a teacher talk if you're not part of the, the Date Women the Word Uh, Facebook group. You can join that. You can just search Dating Women in the Word private group and find us there. Follow us on Instagram. We do a lot of Instagram stories about what we are learning. So there's going to be a lot of Hosea stuff there. Um, If you haven't yet, we have a glossary for Hosea that 
defines all of these um, terms, names, places that you're going to find in Hosea, and that will help you give, get some context on specific terms. So I recommend printing that out. The Hosea Spotify playlist, you guys, is awesome. If you heard the music coming when you were coming in, that's the, the Spotify playlist that we have specifically for Hosea. We have picked out songs that are hitting on all the Hosea themes, and man, it just is going to give you so much life. So if you don't have Spotify, we'll find another way to share it with you. We'll screenshot the list or something so you can see it. And then if you have kids, I know you guys are here Monday night. We don't have childcare here, but I assume some of you do have children. If you want to check out the kids' lessons that we have for Wednesday morning, all of that's going to be available on the resources page for you too. So if you want to study together as a family, you can grab those. They're separated by age group um, from infant to 12. And so you can go through those at home with your kids. There's activities. It's just a short lesson. Um, so you can find those there if you want to invite your kids to study with you. And you'll find Kelly's cool um, song for scripture memory for Hosea 6.1, which I just want her to come up and do here, but I won't make her. We'll do it after. We'll do it after. Okay. Um, and then lastly, I know you guys, we don't have child care here. We don't have a kids program on Monday nights, but um, that is our big expense for the summer study. So I'm not going to say this too many times, but I just want to let you know that Caitlin in the back with our baby, Caitlin uh, has uh, donation envelopes. If you feel led to donate at all during the summer, um, this is our biggest expense of the year to put on the study. So if you feel led to do that, Caitlin is the one to get in touch with. And that'll be available every week. And it's tax deductible. Yes. And if you're listening on the podcast or on the website, you can just click right over to dayandwomentheword.com slash donate, maybe. That could be wrong, but that's my best guess what we would have called it. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys, that's the end of my announcements. I'm going to close in prayer. Like I said, this is my prayer that I have in the front of my Hosea binder, and I'm going to pray it over you now. Lord, open up our eyes to see the truth in Hosea. Soften our hearts and make us available and willing to change. Show us more of you. Give us all. Meet us in the text and show us Jesus there. Amen. All right, ladies. Session one, we did it. Thank you for listening to the Dayton Women in the Word podcast. For more resources and encouragement about how to go deep in God's Word, visit us at DaytonWomenInTheWord.com on Instagram and Facebook. May you dwell richly in His Word today, sister. Thank you.